0: And all of a sudden, this conscience that had been dead so long began to awaken in me. The sin, the weight of the sin began to press down, and I became miserable, and I wanted to run from it, but instead I ran to the cross. And that's where my life changed for eternity.
1: This is First Person, where this week we'll meet a remarkable woman, whose early life led to prison, which she now says was the best thing that could have happened to her. Jennifer Smith now serves as the chaplain in the same prison where she once served time, and she'll explain how that all came about in a moment. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Welcome to our program. I appreciate you taking the time to listen as we meet someone new each week, someone whose life has been radically changed by the power of Jesus Christ. If you haven't heard, these interviews are also archived online at firstpersoninterview.com. But perhaps the easiest way to listen is to use our smartphone app where you can download any program for on-demand listening whenever you have time. Look for the free download of the app when you visit your app store. Just search for First Person Interview. And before we begin, I want to thank the Far East Broadcasting Company for their support. The conversation you're about to hear took place during a conference sponsored by Revive Our Hearts, which took place recently in Indianapolis. During that busy conference, I asked our guest to join me backstage in the convention center to tell her story. Well, Jennifer, I heard you speak at True Woman, the uh, conference put on by Nancy Namas-Wolgamuth and Revive Our Hearts. I know you have a very special relationship with Nancy and Revive Our Hearts. And they let a few men like me come to a conference called True Women. But uh, thank you for sitting down to talk.
0: Oh, it's a privilege, and thank you for the opportunity.
1: Jennifer, tell me your story. Uh, let's let's start with those early days of growing up. You grew up in Arkansas,
0: right? I grew up in uh, northwest Arkansas, about thirty minutes actually south of Branson. Um, I was raised in a home with a older sibling, and um, my parents they wanted to have one boy and one girl. That was their ideal family, and and was actually told that I was supposed to be, you know, a boy and. And uh, when the day came that I was born and and I was a girl, of course, they were disappointed. And they expressed that disappoint- disappointment, not realizing um, what those words would eventually create in my heart. And it became a running joke of the family that, oh, God made a mistake when he gave you to us. You were supposed to have been a boy and actually raised me as a tomboy, mm. um, which caused me to be angry at my sister a lot because I was jealous of the relationship uh, between... My mother and her.
1: So, didn't turn out to be a joke for you, did it? It did
0: not turn out to be a joke for yeah. me. Did, was, did
1: your folks understand the pain that that was putting you through?
0: They did not. It was it was years later, is actually after my incarceration that uh, after I was saved that as I began to go and try to reconcile that relationship that I had to, was able to sit down and and share just different things um, and to go back and I didn't really understand it, you know, at the time I just knew there was hurt there
1: mm-hmm. and there was
0: anger and really not knowing what it stemmed from. Yeah. So.
1: So, as you're growing up, though, you made some choices along the way. With because of this low self-esteem, or what what was driving right. that? Low
0: self-esteem and um, just just the anger that had began to to foster and to grow and be nourished. Uh, everything I was a victim everywhere you looked. Everything it was everybody else's fault. Why are they doing this to me? And so it, it gave me this entitlement that uh, I could choose to treat people the way I wanted, or I could make these choices hey, because of what's happened to me and because of the circumstances or the lots uh, in life that I had that I had a right to be this way. You know, I had a right to choose that. So, yes, early I began to uh, choose drugs just as a, a means of coping, um, a means of, like I said, I heard the the saying, this will make you feel better, to make things go away. So really just really searching everywhere that I needed this, this huge hole uh, filled in my heart, uh, that only Christ could do, but not knowing that and searching everywhere else for you that.
1: Didn't have that answer at that time. So did it make you kind of a, a tough person, tough very,
0: girl? Very, very. I, um, of course, you know, I was, again, a tomboy and, uh, I was, I was tough. I was a bully, um, very, um, rough around the edges, you know, and the Lord had to do a lot of
1: This is all before vapor. Christ. Yes, so. all
0: before <laughs> All before Christ and just really did not even have mannerisms that were, or there was no gentleness about me. There was no, nothing that was those feminine things that you would think about, you know, um, because that was never fostered. I never had that relationship there uh, with my mom. But, um, you know, it was just very um, raw, you know. How bad and, did uh, it get for you? It got pretty bad. You know, there were times that, you know, I, of course, I left home at 15 Um just uh, a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness at that point, and I couldn't listen to anyone. And it was to the point, there were times that I did want to die. You know, I didn't want to live. And I thought if I did enough drugs, that, you know, one day I would just overdose and pass out, you know, and never wake up again.
1: That was your answer.
0: And that was my answer. And uh, so I searched again in the drug life, and with that drug life comes other problems and other issues and more sin. It just multiplies. And it just more misery and more misery on top of that. So
1: so at some point you found yourself on the wrong side of the law, and yes. that got you put into prison. I assume before prison there was other skirmishes and jail time maybe?
0: Yes, actually uh, I was 12 years old the very first time that uh, Twelve. I had an encounter with the law, and uh, I had broken in a home and vandalized it. Uh, you know, just to fit in with an older uh, crowd, uh, almost kind of an initiation type thing. But he was a, a cousin of mine, too. I knew him, so I thought, okay, balance that out, justify it. I can get away with it. And, but that was my first encounter with the law. And then at 16, I was busted uh, for drugs, uh, methamphetamines. And I was uh, sentenced to a, a rehab to finish, you know, instead of going to juvenile finished that, and then it was not long again at 17, I was arrested again.
1: It didn't work, huh? did
0: not work, and then I was arrested a third time at 19 for uh, drug charges and DUI. And You know, my parents were farmers in the area, so they knew a lot of people, so the justice system kind of just patted me on the hand, and I had a part in manipulating that, too. Um, you know, you don't love me if you don't get me out of this trouble, mm-hmm. you know, type thing. Mm-hmm. We do that. and um, A lot
1: of parents rescue a lot of kids, don't they?
0: Right, and uh, they, they actually became an enabler and didn't realize it. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: but it got serious when you got sent to prison.
0: It got real serious when I got sent to prison. What happened? And um, I had, uh, at this point, you know, my life had just escalated probably to the, it couldn't get no worse. Um, I had been up for 27 days on a meth binge and had not slept or ate and was just making very poor decisions. And I, I can remember that at time, reflecting back, and, you know, you know there's a God, but he's just not personal to you. And I can remember just thinking, you know, if you're there, I need some help, you know. And I don't even know if I really voiced that, but just thinking that I may have voiced that. And, you know, you, I never thought anymore about that until the night I got arrested, actually, was for robbery and drugs. And, and I'll never forget uh, when I was being pulled over and was being brought to the back of the vehicle and the guns drawn on my head and they slammed me on the pavement and arrested me, that that thought and that scene came back before my mind where I asked that for that help and I was thinking I was not thinking about this kind of help mm-hmm. you know this is not what I'm referring to but I knew at that moment I didn't know what it was going to look like but I had this peace that happened just because I knew life that I had lived up to that moment it was going to be done something
1: was going to change it was, was going to
0: change mm-hmm. and it, you didn't know how much it was
1: going to change though you? I didn't know
0: how much it was going to change
1: so you go to prison um Had you seen that coming? I mean, did you ever imagine yourself in that situation? Oh,
0: well, I, I of course, couldn't see it, but everybody around me could see it. You know, they were saying, you're going to end up in prison, you're going to end up in jail. Of course, that would just make me angrier. You know, they didn't know what they were talking about. Um, But, no, I thought I was above the law and that I could always evade them and, you know, untouchable, you know. But, uh, no, I... I couldn't see it coming, but others could.
1: Where were you sent to prison?
0: I was sent to prison in Arkansas, in East Arkansas, at the maximum security unit. It's called the McPherson unit there in Newport, Arkansas. All
1: right. That's going to come into play as this story unfolds here today. So remember McPherson. Yes. And it a, holds a very special place in your heart. Um, what were those early days like in prison?
0: Well, the early days, of course, going in very fearful. You know, I was young. I was just turned 22. And all I knew about prison was what you see on TV. You know, those are those events where you see people getting beat with locks or you know shanked and just those things. And so I was very scared. Um, so I, I did have a game plan, though. I had a game plan that uh, if I go in and act crazy, people will leave me alone and <laughs> it will isolate me. <laughs> And so that was my plan. And I guess at 22, there was not much wisdom in that. But um, (laughs) I did go in and try that. And I quickly found that there were crazier people than myself there. (laughs) Uh, They
1: they outplayed you. They
0: outplayed me. (laughs) So I had to take a step back. But those early days, that first year was hard time for me because I was still...
1: Define hard time.
0: Hard time is when you're still fighting the system. You're still fighting against God. You're still fighting against those that are even placed there in employment positions to help you get to a place where you can rehabilitate you know and where you can make some sense out of your life and turn it into a different direction Mm -hmm. and so that hard time was that I was I was still rebelling against um the system the authorities there uh trying to find every loophole I could you know get into to do what I wanted and which caused me to you if you lose your class then you don't get good jobs, and you end up just doing dead time where you're sitting around with an idle mind. And we know that that's the devil's playground,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know. And so,
1: I know we're going to skip a lot here, but when did God come in the picture for you? And it happened in prison, right?
0: Right. It happened in prison. It was uh, about a year into my sentence. Um, and you know, it takes about a year in prison for you to get real tired. You know, that's one thing about sin; it will wear you down. Um, it will wear you down fast. And um, even though I was in prison that whole year, and I had noticed this these other ladies that were christians in the prison and I had been watching their lives but and I had made fun of them on the side because you want to be in the in crowd and that's what people did and and but I was watching them at the same time and they had a joy about them that was very haunting to me but it was very drawing to me it drew me in because I'd never seen that in anyone and You didn't
1: def- tell anybody about this.
0: No, I did not tell anybody about it. I just observed. And uh so I observed, you know, in in those times where I was alone. You know, in my cell at times, or I'd be on my my bunk, and I would just be observing them—the way they responded to staff and other inmates, and even to myself when I treated them badly. They responded in a way that was gracious and loving, and and with joy. And I was just like, "This is not. This is not right. It's strange, you know." And. Um, and so that's the first time I had seen that in anybody and it happened to be that it was on the inside of prison walls. That was the first time I seen Christ lived out.
1: So that was the beginning of the thought for you that maybe prison is a good thing for me.
0: Yes. And I, I would think, could I, could that be me? You know, could that ever be my life? Could I ever get to that place where, you know, I could have joy and that I would have peace and that I could be a loving, caring person and and you know because inside it 's really not who I wanted to be, you know I really wanted friendships, I wanted those relationships that were healthy. I had no idea how to get those
1: interesting. How did Christ uh, reach your heart then
0: well it was it was again it was actually through other inmates that began to they began to share the gospel with me and they began to invite me to to come into this this barracks there that was designated uh, for this faith based program to to hear uh, what the program was about and to participate in it, and so I did. I began to go in and I began to hear uh, just different teachings. I began to hear the gospel uh, for the first time in my entire life. You know, I'd heard about God, but I've never heard this gospel um, that I was hearing that said, you know, you can't do anything to get merit with me. You know, the the merit that you get is because of my son. You know, he's the one that I that I that I said well, well done, you know, to, and that he went on the cross and. He, he became that, that he became sin, my sin, so that I could be made in his righteousness, and he took the wrath that was mine, that was owed to me, and he took that, that criminal's death, he died that, he died my death. And so I began to hear this gospel and I began to to see um, the, the word of God, and all of a sudden this conscience that had been dead so long began to awaken in me, and I began to realize, wait a minute, I'm a sinner, you know. The the sin, the weight of the sin Began to press down And I became miserable And I wanted to run from it But instead I ran to the cross And uh, that's where my life changed for
1: eternity It did indeed We'll continue talking with Jennifer Smith To hear her story on today's edition of First Person This is Ed Cannon President of the Far East Broadcasting Company FEBC partners with First Person to bring these interviews to you each week because we never tire of hearing how God moves on the hearts of people to accomplish His purpose, whether in the hard-to-reach places of the world or right here at home. We serve a living God who leads men and women to do great things for Him. Learn more about FEBC at firstpersoninterview.com. Click on the FEBC banner. Today our interview is taking place at True Woman, a conference held annually by Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth for Revive Our Hearts. And one of the speakers I heard earlier today was Jennifer Smith. And Jennifer, I was so taken with your story, I knew immediately I had to have you join us on First Person. So thank you for taking time to come by on this busy day here in this busy room and to talk with us about how God has moved into your life.
0: Absolutely. Love to share the gospel.
1: When we left off a moment ago, you are in prison, you've come to Christ, uh, you have uh, repented of your sin, turned your life over to Jesus, but you're still in prison. Right. So, so pick up the story for me.
0: So um, after uh, that day, and I, I gave my life to Christ, went to my cell, and just um, began to rehearse who I was and repent of that, and then that turned into a worship time that I'll never forget. A worship of then worshiping him for who he is. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was just excited. I was hungry. It was like a sponge. I wanted more. I wanted to know more. But though my life had been changed in an instant, I had went from a sinner to a saint, and the old had passed away, and all things had become new. My mind had not become new. And um, I had the memories of who I was and what I'd done. And the choices that I had made and those patterns were still in my life that my go to for choices, you know So I knew immediately that I had to get in the word and I had to get the word into me Because that's what the word of God says that he credits transformation in Romans 12 to, to
1: a renewed mind Boy, that's a turnaround
0: Exactly From who
1: you were exactly. to who you were becoming at that point right uh, did people comment on that
0: oh yeah they they were just they were blown away and I think the first evidence to them and myself was I was willing uh, to let someone else tell me what to do <laughs> you know I was willing to not be the final authority in my life and willing to submit and surrender to leadership and guidance and and uh, even the guidance of scripture but even to submit to one another you know for correction and, and and guidance
1: yeah how long were you in that prison
0: I was in that prison for 11 and a
1: half years and when did you accept Christ on that journey of 11 and a half years?
0: After my first year in prison. After
1: the first year. So 10-plus years 10 plus in years. prison as a disciple of the Lord. Yes. Um, you were growing. You had to be growing during that time.
0: It was like a bubble. You know, it was like a, a boot camp, spiritual boot camp bubble. Um, I could say that the one thing the Lord desires to have with us is time. And he gave me 10 and a half years of of time. Of it. Yes. And... Uh, <laughs> So I knew that I had an opportunity here before me that um, I could really take the time. I didn't have the distractions that we have out here, you know, and those responsibilities. And that was a season that I needed and that he gifted me with that I could sit at his feet for those 10 and a half years and uh, learn his ways and begin to practice them right there so that I would be prepared for that day that he opened that door mm. and let me out in the free world.
1: Were you afraid of leaving prison at all?
0: I was afraid. There it was different reasons for being afraid. Uh, one of the things that I think is the most common fear is, um, of course, returning to prison. Uh, was That's always a fear, but it's how will I fit and where will I fit, you know, after being gone all this long?
1: Yeah. What about your family? Um, were you reconciled to them in any way?
0: I was reconciled to them um, in prison as I began to uh, get into the Word of God and I began to learn uh, these different principles and practices. And one of the things that the Lord began to to give me understanding and increase my understanding in was the principle of forgiveness and how that... Um, That forgiveness is not just between us and God, but it's between us and those around us as well.
1: It sounds so simple now, but it had to be very hard. It
0: was hard. It was a choice I made. It wasn't something I felt. Um, It wasn't that I woke up the next morning and all of a sudden I had this love for my parents who had deeply hurt me or this man that, you know, had offended me in my youth or anything like that. But it was, I had this love for Christ. I wanted to please Him. I wanted to be more like Him. I wanted to experience more of the freedom that I was experiencing. And so it was a choice to obey that, you know what, I'm going to choose to forgive because He forgave me.
1: Did they know what to do with that?
0: They did not know what to do with that. It was almost I had to train them how to, you know, to accept that. But in my zeal, of course, the Lord tapered me, you know, back some. But the first time when I called them, it was just silence, you know, at the other end of the phone when I was asking, their forgiveness. I didn't blame them for anything. I didn't bring up their faults. I took care of mine because I was very disrespectful to them. And, you know, I just, I sinned against them greatly too. Mm. And so I wanted to cover that part. And I never mentioned what they had done to me. I let the Lord work in their heart. And it was in a visitation one day, a couple of years later that, you know, through tears, they asked that forgiveness and the Lord reconciled us. And they're my biggest cheerleaders today. <laughs>
1: So. I have so many more questions I want to ask, but I want to get to the rest of the story, so to speak, here. And even while we speak, the conference is going on behind us here. But, the, the, I mean, what you've told me is so amazing, you know, how a person comes to Christ and the circumstances. And yours right. were unique, certainly. But then this story takes an incredible turn because then you go back to prison, not as a prisoner, but as a chaplain. Yes. Did, this, did this come to your heart before you ever were released?
0: Um, it did, actually. The Lord birthed this desire, not actually as a chaplain, but I wanted to give back. I was hungry to be able to serve in ministry somehow, and I knew this was a people group that I understood. Um, it was a people group that I knew well, and I felt like if somehow I could be a part of, of being a part of this, I thought it would be kind of on the outside. This you is know? your mission field? Yes, it was my mission field.
1: Yeah. So how did you... I mean, what'd you do? I mean, well, were, I became, were they reticent to accept a former prisoner?
0: Actually, I became a clerk for the chaplain's office as an inmate. And so um, developed a relationship there with that department. And um, after you're out, actually, ADC has a policy. if you When you've been out for two years and you've not gotten any other trouble and you've got good recommendations, you can start coming in as a volunteer. And so when that, that period came, I, I put in to come in and give my testimony as a volunteer and the Lord just gave me favor with my authorities and those in the chaplain's office. And actually, they actually called me. I had um, been in Michigan, and they actually called me and asked me if I would come and consider being Back to Arkansas. A, a chaplain, yes, at the uh, the women's unit there. And, of course, you know, I, my heart was saying, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but I, I prayed and sought counsel, and it was clear that that was the direction the Lord is still going in my life. And that was the calling and, and plan and purpose that all these things that I went through up to that point— you know, he used it uh, for his good and for his glory. You know.
1: Well, uh, again, it is, the story isn't ending there because now you uh, have a vision for sort of a halfway house. Is that what it's called?
0: Right. It's actually a, called a transition home, Cornerstone Transition Home. And um, this was actually birthed while I was an inmate because I would see all these ladies returning to prison. You know, and here I was waiting for 12 years to pass before I even had a chance to, to leave. And I would see these ladies that really had a life change and the Lord changed they they gave and surrendered their lives to, to Christ over there and they would leave and then six months to a year later they would walk back in the door. You know, and we I was like, Why are you coming back? What is missing out there? And they said, This. We don't have this. We went to church and they didn't they didn't embrace us. And you know, and there's there's two type of churches out there. There's a there's a type of church that uh You know they're gonna. It's like the the Pharisee and the tax collector that Nancy was referring to. You have those type of churches that's gonna embrace this people group, and those that aren't. And um, so I I began to see the need for that. And I asked them, Why do you return? Why do you return? They said, We have no accountability. We have no support system. We don't have any help, and we go back to what's familiar. And so I thought, There's got to be something. There's got to be something. And so years of praying about that, and the Lord. Connected me with a lady uh, when I moved back from Michigan to Newport and became a chaplain that was working, teaching in the prison. And we began to pray together. She had a heart for this people group. We began to pray for over a year about this uh, this desire to open this home. And the Lord just began to, after that year, He began to orchestrate people, uh, you know, saying, hey, I want to, do y'all need this? Do y'all need that? And we're like, well, yeah, we do need that. But we didn't know we needed it. But God knew we needed it. So...
1: Jennifer Smith, whose story is a powerful reminder of the power of Christ to change a heart. And if you want to learn more about Chaplain Smith and her ministry in that prison, including the Step of Faith to provide a transition home for women, please visit our website, FirstPersonInterview.com. There you'll find links to all that Jennifer and those working with her are doing to minister to women in prison with such great results. Again, go to FirstPersonInterview.com. Stories like we heard today are being repeated all over the world. The Far East Broadcasting Company knows that well as it receives the testimony of millions, some of whom are also in prison, who respond to local language gospel broadcasts in nearly 50 hard-to-reach countries of the world. Take the time to learn more about FEBC at FirstPersonInterview.com. Next week, as we prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving, we'll talk with historian Tracy McKenzie, who draws spiritual lessons from an accurate view of the first Thanksgiving now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening to First Person.